Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. These are the holiday pods. So, again, with me, as always, is usually our great producer, Brandon Newman. Uh, not here today. Finally finishing up uh, the tail end of the nightmare moving scenario that he told us about on a prior podcast as Brandon's finishing up his move from Louisville to Florida. And so, again... These are holiday podcasts. We pre-recorded a bunch of interviews with people that we really like. We are only releasing podcasts Monday, Wednesday, Friday. This week, we will be back in 2023 in the new year. Back Monday through Friday, five days a week, the way a lot of you have gotten used to over the last year. We appreciate everyone checking these out in the meantime, downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts, leaving us those five-star ratings, and checking us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Seen a lot of good responses there to Katie Nolan, Mina Kimes, Jack Swarbrick, and you know, as we get going this week, 
Stugatz, Billy Gill, Mikey A, and the uh, Lazy River that we've been on there. Uh, excited about today. Jason Fitz and Harry Douglas both stopping by. Uh, Jason Fitz, who you guys have been used to around here, one of my former co-workers at ESPN, former fiddle player, musical director in the band Perry, uh, before going on to ESPN Radio and Digital Fame. And Harry Douglas, 10-year NFL veteran, uh, former Louisville uh, College All-American and uh, Hall of Famer there as well, who also was one of my co-workers at ESPN. Those two guys are getting ready to join up. New ESPN radio show uh, starting January 3rd, Fitz and Harry, uh, that you'll hear us plug and talk a lot about during the podcast there. Two of my favorite guys, two awesome guys, and a great chance for us to look ahead to the college football playoff semifinal matchups coming up this weekend as everyone's starting to roll into town. We're seeing a lot of the media and press tour start to get into these matchups here. TCU and Michigan out at the Fiesta Bowl in uh, in Phoenix, and then Georgia and Ohio State and Atlanta at the Peach Bowl. So plenty of good insight on those matchups. Uh and just a good chance to catch up with our friends. That's kind of what these couple of weeks have been about as we've been recharging the batteries a little bit. Before we get to that, though, I have to make a confession. Because everyone is going to be getting up today talking about what Luka Doncic did on uh, the basketball court last night. Luka helped the Dallas Mavericks complete an insane comeback against the Knicks. Dallas was down 9 with 33 seconds left in regulation before evening it up with ultimately the tying bucket coming on a Luka Doncic intentionally missed free throw that ended up bouncing off the rim, getting Luka a loose ball off a rebound, and hitting a fallaway jumper to tie the game up at 115 with one second left and send it into overtime. Dallas led for less than a minute of regulation and did not trail once they hit overtime. It was an insane performance. Luka went for a 60-point triple-double. It was the first. One, the only one, 60-point, 20-rebound, 10-assist game in NBA history. The only 60-20-10 game in league history for the 23-year-old superstar. Absolutely batshit crazy. And instead of seeing that performance live, where Luka Doncic, exhausted after the game, told a reporter, I need a recovery beer. Instead of watching an historic one-of-one performance in the NBA, I was watching Wisconsin football fake a punt playing a game on a baseball field in Arizona against Oklahoma State in a game where neither team started a quarterback that was with them for the regular season playing meaningful snaps. I'm not always proud. Now, card-carrying member of the Sickos Committee, so the hearts want, heart wants what it wants. But uh, having to watch that one back on House of Highlights after the fact didn't really hit quite the same. And so uh, I got to put my hand up on that one. Big weirdo energy. I am happy that Jim Leonard got to go out with a win in his final game as the interim head coach for the Wisconsin Badgers after everything that he's meant to that program. So a big congratulations for him as the fickle era gets started. The fact that there was even a question of who would get the Gatorade bath after the game asked by the broadcast booth, Kirk Morrison, I love you to death. Shouldn't have been a question on that. Who would get that uh, Gatorade bath? But uh, yeah, um, I fucked up on that one. That being said, I made up for it like a kid turning his homework in late with a comp that I think was clever enough to sort of distract from the fact that I didn't see that performance live and had to watch it back later on tape. 
Luka Doncic gives off big Joe Burrow vibes. I feel like both of those guys are sort of cut from the same cloth in a couple of ways. And I, I think really, when I say a couple, I mean three ways when you look at what both of these guys kind of bring to the table. I think first and foremost, the thing that stands out about both of them, uh, confidence, both young players in this league, but guys that, you know, because of their experience, Luka Doncic playing professionally over in Europe beforehand and Joe playing at the highest level of national championship in college, uh, both of these guys radiate a confidence. It's pretty easy to see for everybody involved. They lack any one elite physical tool. Right, they're both really good athletes. Zuka Doncic is an incredibly big, sturdy player. People bring up his weight a lot, but not overly fast, not an insane vertical, not the strongest guy on the planet. And for Joe Burrow, mobile enough to get out of trouble fast enough, but he's never to confuse him with Daniel Jones or you know Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray or any of these guys. And certainly doesn't have a howitzer for an arm by any stretch. In fact, probably one of the more you know, lackluster arms amongst the top-level quarterbacks. And then the last one, spatial awareness and timing. I think both of these guys do an unbelievable job. Luca in the pick-and-roll when he gets into the lane, manipulating guys, using his body and using his physicality to create space in there. And then Joe Burrow being evasive enough in the pocket, being elusive enough to get out of trouble and having great timing on his deep ball to overcome that lack of the elite physical tools that the quarterbacks that production-wise he gets mentioned alongside, the Allens, the Mahomes, the Herberts, the guys at the top end of the sport, he manages to bridge that gap that he lacks in physical gifts with, I think, great timing and awareness and understanding of his body and his ability. And uh, I don't know, I think it's just really interesting for both of these guys, certainly Joe Burrow's Cincinnati team last year has gone further than what we've seen from Luka so far, but uh, I think both of them and the effect they have on the game is really, really interesting. So uh, get a jail-free card for not seeing that game live. Uh, Luka Doncic, the NBA's Joe Burrow. Um, The other thing that I thought was really interesting that popped up yesterday, we talked so much about Deion Sanders leaving Jackson State to go to Colorado Ed Reed just got named the head coach at Bethune-Cookman just yesterday here. Um, their previous coach, Terry Sims, got fired in late November after going 2-9 and nine in back-to-back seasons. Um, and so Ed Reed, who was on a support staff role with Miami for the last three years and was an advisor for Mario Cristobal most recently, gets the job there. Ed Reed, a pro football Hall of Famer, um, one of the greatest defensive backs and safeties ever to play football. You guys probably saw a clip yesterday circulating of Bill Belichick lauding him for that wild interception he had of Peyton Manning in a game. And, you know, obviously there's a bunch of comps here, you know, going to uh, an HBCU, going um, as a you know Hall of Fame caliber defensive back, one of the biggest names in the sports to an opportunity like this. Certainly – looks similar on paper. The fascinating part of this on a few levels is, first off, an incredible opportunity for the players at Bethune-Cookman, right? A couple of back-to-back losing seasons, getting to see, touch, and be around someone who is as well-respected, well-regarded, and accomplished as Ed Reed is. Really cool opportunity for everyone involved in that. Other thing that pops up, as we've seen now with Deion Sanders Eddie George also coaching as the head coach of an HBCU. We know Dion has now gone on to Colorado, but 
this is an avenue for former players of color to get faster opportunities as head coaches to get that experience that can sometimes be elusive, I think is an interesting one to monitor. Now, I know there's been a lot of conversation uh, both ways about Deion Sanders and what he did or didn't promise to get done at Jackson State, what he did or didn't owe Jackson State and HBCUs for what they helped him to get to. I heard Bamani Jones obviously talk a lot about this, that Jackson State helped Deion Sanders sort of cut the line in coaching at the Power Five level, do wonder if others who may be around. And, you know, for Ed Reed, he was the defensive backs coach of the Bills in 2016, obviously was in a support staff role in Miami. You wonder if at some point the light went on and said, hey, I'd like to give this a real try and a real shot. And getting to coach at an HBCU where he can come in and provide a lot of really good quality attention in the way that we saw with Deion Sanders shine a light on Bethune-Cookman now for Ed Reed if it becomes mutually beneficial enough for both sides for coaches of color to be able to come in and say, hey, I can get reps at head coaching a lot sooner than going through this a different path or maybe a more traditional path uh, for some people. So interesting to watch there. And then I think the last one of this, uh, how styles make fights. Because I said, on paper, Hall of Fame defensive back taking over at an HBCU sounds very similar to what Deion Sanders did. However, you know, we know different guys, like still different people. Deion Sanders, primetime, that big personality, selling out there. We've already seen it in Colorado and what it's been able to do marketing-wise for that program as they get ready to go here. I'm always curious with all-time greats and Ed Reed, Deion Sanders, both guys that qualify for that, when it comes to giving game to somebody else, how those guys can do. My dad played with Reggie White, who's obviously, you know, the late Reggie White, a Hall of Famer, one of the best defensive linemen of all time. And I always remember my dad telling this story about how Reggie White, who was famous for his hump move, this incredible show of force where you show speed up field on the perimeter when Reggie was rushing as a defensive end. And then when you get the offensive lineman's momentum going that way, you use that arm and cup on, come up underneath and just shove them right where their body's already going. And my dad always tells this story about how their D-line coach gave Reggie an individual period one day and said, all right, Reggie, I'm going to let you try and you know come up here and, and teach the rest of the D-line the hump move. And my dad said after a couple of minutes, Reggie just kind of looked around and said, coach, I, I don't. I just do it. I don't know how to teach it. Like Reggie was just so gifted and understood his body so well and understood leverage and all of these things that are a learned part for some people of interior line play at such a cellular level that he could just do it. He wasn't going to be able to explain it to someone else who had lesser physical ability or understanding of that innately than Reggie did. And I, I text Dominique Foxworth for this reason, who played with Ed Reed in Baltimore. And I've always heard like, Dominique's podcast and anything he's on is going to be must listen uh, with Ed Reed more often in the news now because hearing him talk about the way Ed Reed taught him how to watch film at a higher level and seeing the game through Ed Reed's eyes was always so fascinating to me. And I asked him if he thought that Ed Reed had that ability to take the greatness that he had and give it to others. And he he thought he did. And, and I think that's, man, what an incredible asset 
if that you know continues to be the case, not only for his peers in the NFL, but if Ed Reed's able to give some of that game to young players now uh, at this level in college football, so going to be awesome to watch. There's still the you know the question of is it a perfect fit because head coaching is a decidedly different skill set than being a great coordinator, than being a great position coach, than being someone who's just an incredible teacher. And there, there's a bunch of other hats that you've got to wear, and we'll see. You know, I'm sure based on everything I've heard about Ed Reed, he's going to have a pretty good shot of being great at this too. But it's going to be fascinating. Again, I I always love trying to watch this process of all-time great players attempting to go and transfer knowledge to people who will not come close in in so many cases, in 99.9% of cases, to the ability that that person had and the patience that it's got to take to look at people with lesser ability and try and impart that same knowledge or try and tweak your experience to meet them is a fascinating process to watch. And if nothing else, Ed Reed just seems like he's cool as shit. Like every public interaction we've seen from him, from his Hall of Fame induction to all his time around Miami, guy just seems cool as hell. And seeing more of Ed Reed talked about in the public sphere is probably a net good for everybody involved. So, um, very excited to see that one. Uh, some of the biggest news coming out of yesterday here. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, again, the co-hosts of Harry and Fitz coming up starting on January 3rd on ESPN Radio. Going to join us to look ahead at the college football playoff semis and a little bit of everything else in the world of college sports and the NFL. Next. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So, wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. 
In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, what's everybody? What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. Uh, holiday podcast here, which means we get to visit with some of our favorite people. And these guys are two of my favorite, and you are going to get to listen to them together starting on January 3rd. So it'll be after the release of this podcast here. Fitz and Harry, 12 to 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz, who you guys are used to hearing all across ESPN Radio, worked with me and Dad in the morning show, has co-hosted Spain and Fitz for a long time. And Harry Douglas, Louisville's very own, the Hall of Famer for the Cardinals, NFL veteran, and now become a mainstay across Get Up, ESPN Digital, Countdown to Game Day for College Football. Link it up for the show here. Fellas, it's been a little while. What's going on? Man, we're just living this. The dream, buddy. Like, you know, Harry, <laughs> Harry's out here, got all the helmets, like, you know, living that dream. Like, I get to work with a former, like, I'm used to working with you. Now I get to work with somebody that actually made it in the NFL. This is going to be a delight. <laughs> no! No! Right we're, we're, not even, we're not even five minutes in and he's giving shots. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. See, this is this is what you know, though, Harry, going into this, because yes. for, <laughs> yes, for anyone that doesn't know, so you guys have known each other for a while here. When was the first time? Do you guys remember the first time you actually worked together? Ooh uh 2019 right harry it was uh, yeah, it, it, it was, was 2019 show, I, right i can't remember which show it was though to be it exact was, it was one of the digital uh college football i think playoff or championship game like oh no no uh, no, no 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 it was um it was uh countdown to college game day at baylor oh, oh yeah it was yeah at baylor and then i did it again with with you guys um sec championship and wow. that was like that was always cool for me mike because like I mean, Harry was a big Titan, right? And so even coming through the Nashville scene, it's like you feel like you know some of those guys. So, like, it was just cool to get to hang out with somebody I'd heard so many good things about. And then it turned out he's actually, you know, a pretty good guy. So uh, that that was the beginning of our, our friendship. But, yeah, we've, we've done a lot together over the years to get to this point. Gojo, listen, I literally last night we did a show together, right? <laughs> and we were talking about something like the game all right? And I was like, yeah, you know, um, it's easy for 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 a play caller just you know say a, say a number on the wristband and the quarterback recites the play versus you know giving the quarterback the entire play and you have to recite it after that right so so Fitz was like yeah yeah so give us a play I was like I'm, I'm not playing damn football anymore I'm not coaching I work at ESPN now don't ask me about no damn play yeah I'm just saying though Harry you hand me a fiddle I can still play a fight I young. Like, look, it's been a few minutes, but I can still get out there and rip. I like, was so salty I, about I was it. Wait, I was waiting for Harry to be like, H24, right, 33, <laughs> blue, F4. Like, I don't know. what. Like, Mike, what's a what's a play call? Like, give me, I walk into the huddle, and you're the quarterback. You're calling the play. What's it sound like? So, I the only reason I remember this one uh -huh. is mm. because it's tied to a very specific story where I had a buddy of mine <laughs> who was absolutely destroyed one night, drunker than all hell when we were in college. He was wrapped around a toilet the entire night and we were going upstairs and checking on him we had had a little bit too much and so we were just going to make sure he was all right doing the thing and he was doing good like nothing wasn't wasn't in any danger but just wasn't doing his best and finally one of our other teammates come over one of our veteran guys and he goes hey he walks into the bathroom to check on him he goes hey what do you do on ride 134 exxon z comeback 
and Buddy just pops up and goes, score a bleeping touchdown, and then jumps into bed and goes to sleep. So that's the only reason that I remember that one call is because it is tied to that specific memory. That is amazing. I hear X, son. I'm thinking the X has an X. So, you know, you got the comeback by the Z. Yep. Yeah, we had a play called Exxon where the X had a uh, in cut as well. So that was the Charlie Weiss playbook that we had there. Okay. 134 was one of the play action protections exactly, there. Because yep. when Kelly came, it was more of the college offense stuff where everything's got a name. So like if we were running you know, uh, one back power to the right, we called it Georgia hot, you know? So Georgia was the power play hot and cold was left and right. But when Weiss was there, you had the NFL number system because he came from that branch and that tree. You guys got to educate me on something. When you get into the huddle and it's really loud and you can't actually hear, are you particularly good lip readers? Cause like I always, I, so when we were on tour, I, we, there's a little mic. Like I had a mic in front of me that I sang background vocals in, but I had a foot switch. So if I stepped on it, I could talk to it. it mutes everything in everybody's ears and I could talk to everybody. So I could like step on the thing and be like, Hey, we're skipping the next song. Not if you hear me. So if you ever see a concert where all of a sudden everybody nods, that's everybody telling you, yeah, I got the call. But like our lead singer, Kimberly, she would turn around all the time and we're in this like massive arena and she's turned around and start going like, and like she's mouthing something to me. I can't read lips. And I'm like, I got, we finally had to put a different mic on stage for her because I'm the worst lip read of all time. So I like, I would step on the foot switch and I was like, I think we're skipping the song. And then she's like, no, no. And I'm like, I don't the, know the worst, the worst place for, for me to ever play noise wise was New Orleans. And we always used to have to go on the silent count. We had to signal literally everything, signal pass, uh, signal pass plays, the run game, because you literally couldn't hear in the huddle. Yeah, that's and I mean that's now what you see all across college football, really, with all of those different like. Or they like a lot of them have tarps that they put behind the signal guys. Now yes. I see them wearing different colors because I'm sure one of them is the go. Like with any of those signs you've seen over the years in college football and any of those signalers, they put three out there and only one of those guys is actually live. They're trying to make sure that no one else can swipe things on the other side. Think Brent Venables and what he always got accused of at Clemson stealing signs. But yeah, it uh it, it, Especially any like, especially when you see a lot of these, you'll see up front the offensive line because we're all neurotic and we all. As soon as I leave the huddle, it's like when I meet someone for the first time, I would forget the snap count a lot of times, <laughs> and so you'd always see me going up there and you see guys leaning next to each other. And it's like, what is it on? And you're trying to give it to your buddy without telling the D line. So we would use things like Monday is one, Tuesday is two, and of mm -hmm. course these D line and they're just trying to figure out which direction is forward, so they don't know what the shit we're talking about. Mm -mm. No, nope. <laughs> offensive players are way smarter. Trust me. Yes, exactly. I mean, all you got to remember is what when the snap got like the one thing you had to figure out, and that was where your snap count is. Like, how hard is that, Mike? You just well, heard a lot. Of, you got a three hundred pound man or two hundred and eighty pound man over you that's, that's trying to rip your head off as well. <laughs> trying to figure out like, are, are you double teaming and what angle you probably need to take? You got a lot of stuff you got to worry about, man, on the offensive line. I mean, Harry, Harry Douglas just running out to the outside, just looking for who he's going to trash talk. That's all he was doing. He wasn't thinking about the call. He was just looking at who he's going to yap with. Harry, yeah. I've never asked you about that. Were you a big trash talker? Oh, man, I talk shit like no other. Like, that's <laughs> like I was, everyone knew, like, when I was on a team and whoever we were playing against, I'm pretty sure, like, a couple times the head coach was like, hey, listen, we know that this is the guy. All right, don't fall for his bullshit. We know he's the guy that's going to get you riled up, try to get you a penalty. He's the one. Watch out for him. That was so, me. So was it you trying to get them off their game like that, or was oh, it just yeah. how you needed to go to feel like you were going to play your best? Was it gassing you up, or was it trying to get them off their stuff? Yeah, it was never gassing me up. It's just always trying to get them off their stuff and 
you know, people, when they used to talk junk to me, they thought it like it, it never bothered me. I didn't care about people talking, you know, shit to me. It's all about me getting them out of their game, right? And once I'm in their head, it's, oh, it's a rap from there. Oh, it's a rap. Was I have there- it in my head, Mike. Like, I don't know this, but I just have it in my head because I got... I hear Harry Douglas just like singing sometimes. I have it in my head that as Harry Douglas <laughs> runs by you, he's singing like a gospel tune, one hand in the air, knows the ball's coming to him. He's just letting you know you got beat by singing as he goes by. Like it's just there's an effortlessness <laughs> to, to the trash talk from AC. I like the idea of Harry going up to moss someone and then they just hear, and I will ring him to up, and I will ring him <laughs> Uh, was there was there anyone you ever remember really like getting under their skin, like one you know you got to them worse than maybe any other, or your favorite Ooh. person to talk trash with? Was there ever anyone that was like your equal when it came to shit talking? Man, it was a guy from um, at the time Oakland, and it's when I was in Tennessee, and he was so worried about me, like he was getting penalties after penalties, like holding and just. You know, I was in his head like no other. It, it was it was great. It was great. And after the game, you know, he tried to come up to me, right? And I'm thinking he's coming up to me like to, you know, try to fight. So I throw my hands up. <laughs> you, <laughs> you just immediately squared up. <laughs> I didn't know what he was trying to do. You know, he was like, nah, man, good game, man. Like, you, like you, you a tough opponent. Good game. I was like, all right, good game, good game. <laughs> I will I fuck you up, but. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, why does so, it got to be in Oakland? So why does it got to be the Raiders? That you t- like, the, the amount of strays I take as a Raiders fan here is just, I, Harry all, has already reminded me in the in the few number of radio shows we've done together, just get warmed up for January 3rd. The number of times he's told me that, you know, it was either a Raider person that he, you know, took out. It was a Raider person he dominated or flat out chose not to go play for the Raiders when he had the choice of where to go play because he didn't want to deal with the the, the, the state income tax. Like, I, I've been catching Harry Douglas Raiders strays since we started. I don't know, man. Like, I, I think. No pun think, intended. No, no pun intended. Yeah. Ooh, got him. <laughs> got him. Mm, that's uh set the tone for what you guys are going to get on january 3rd harry speaking of going up to guys after uh games i was curious how you felt watching that 49ers defense after their game against tampa bay all going up did that surprise you at all with the approach that they had the amount of guys coming up and the reverence for tom brady who they just whooped his ass on the field You know, not five minutes before that. Did that surprise you at all from either side, from Brady or from the Niners? No, it, it didn't because at the end of the day, when you look at a guy like Tom Brady, right, he respects his opponents. He respects everyone he plays with because to make it in the National Football League, there has to be something special about you. And then number two, you look at the San Francisco 49ers and those players. A lot of those players, you know, probably still drinking Similac, were still getting burnt. <laughs> When damn Tom Brady started playing, you know what I mean? So <laughs> he he is an idol. He's a guy that a lot of people, you know, want to mimic their careers after. He has the most Super Bowls ever with seven. He is the greatest of all time from the quarterback position. So when you know you get an interception and, hey, Tom Brady, I, it might not be normal, but you understand that you don't know how much longer Tom Brady is going to play this game. So if you have an opportunity to get his signature, his autograph, I'm taking it 110%. Hell, I'm still trying to figure out how I can get me a damn Brady jersey. I got to call Julio. Julio, hook me your boy up, man. Come on. I think, though, like, guys, that speaks to something that has really been eye-opening for me since I got into this business. Like, when you come from the fan standpoint, as a Raiders fan, there's certain teams I just, I hate, right? Like, on Sundays, I hate them. I try and cover them well, but I, I like, I, you, you feel that deep-rooted thing. But what we've seen over the last few years, like, when you start talking about the pass rush groups and the tight end academies, like, what you see are position players looking around saying, hey, we're all a part of this brotherhood. Like, let's make each other better. And it's kind of wild because – 
I tell people all the time, you got to understand that there's a difference during the game and then immediately after the game and to the point yeah. that there's such a camaraderie for guys that played. Like there's a camaraderie that you guys feel with other guys that have been through what you've been through. And only you guys can know what that entire journey is like from a business standpoint, from like a lifestyle standpoint, from what it means for your family. Like, I think sometimes we have to remember that even though as fans, we're looking at the, the helmets and we're really fired up about it. The minute that game ends, what you got are a bunch of brothers that are going at it for 60 minutes of everything they can give. Like at, at that point, it's just about the brotherhood of playing football. Yeah, and I'll tell you something I wish I would have did a lot more like while I was in the National Football League was collect jersey. I think I started doing it like my last, probably like my last three or four years in the league. And man, I got Drew Brees' jersey when he broke a damn record against us in Atlanta. So that was pretty cool. And then, but he was like, I, you told me, I told you before the game, I was going to give it to you. So here you are, my man. And then I got Darrell Revis. What? I got Devin Hester, Tony Gonzalez, Deshaun Jackson. I got all these guys, man. Okay, uh, I need, I need here, advice. So. I need advice from both of <laughs> you then. Okay. Talk to me. Y'all know I got uh, I got a tattoo with Max Crosby at the draft, right? And the week of the you draft. You got a tattoo of him? With him. Harry, not okay, of that's him. right. I, I mean, just had don't to act, clarify it. Don't act like it's out it, of the right? realm of possibility <laughs> that you would have gotten a Max Crosby tattoo, Fitz. A tramp stamp. It would have been straight on the back right there. It's like, I love me some Max uh, with two X's. Um, but <laughs> I feel like you would have added a third X, probably <laughs> triple X fits. <laughs> but the, the, so you know, I we went into Hart Huntington, the Caesars Forum shops, and we got tattoos. So we were there for like four hours, and the the best dude, like we become sort of like we're texting buddies, right? Like I try not to blow them up during the season, but we're texting buddies at this point. But as we were uh, wrapping up, I I made the joke because I was asking him what it felt like to have so much relevance for somebody that came. Uh, from a different spot. The basic comment here is like, hey, you have become the star of this franchise. And to put a, a little bow on that, I flippantly said, look, I went into every store because I was going to have him sign a jersey at the end of our thing. I was like, I went into every store. You can't find a Max Crosby jersey anywhere in the city of Las Vegas. Still, they, they are never around. Always sold out. And he laughed and he was like, dude, I'll sign you a jersey. Like, hey, don't worry, I'll get you a jersey. And, and then he told a story about the one quarterback that didn't <laughs> deliver on that promise, right? But I've never gotten that jersey since. And like at one point, <laughs> at one point in the offseason, I was like, hey, man, uh, I'd love to hang a jersey on set. Like, uh, let me know if I can. Like, I happen to donate to a cause or whatever. And we, we got to talking about something else. And then the conversation went somewhere else. And now I'm like, I don't know what I do. So, like, what what's the line? Do I hit Max up again? Am I supposed to, like, since he offered one, do I ask for, like, a game one? Or do I just ask for any jersey? Like, how do I play this at this point? Because well, I, beggar, I want Beggars can't be choosers. Beggars yes. can't be choosers. You, so you I am the beggar. He decides Even though he offered, you. I'm still the beggar here, right? Yeah, I mean, of course. Okay. Because he didn't give it to you yet, but you still want to beg. Hey, Max, don't forget about me. What about me? Where's my jersey? Shut up, Fitz. What about me, Max? How about the jersey? Over and over again. He's going to give it to you. I have faith in Max. With two X's. With two X's. Fitz, when you I know say why he has two X's in his name, by the way? I don't. Uh, because when he was born, he was the, his parents had decided he was going to be named Max. He was so huge. He was over 12 pounds as a baby. When he came out, his mom was like, look, you're too big to be Max with one X. You're extra large. So and the two X's was intentional after he was born by his mom. So they just straight up hit him with the Magic Mike XXL. It's like, no, no, no. This movie's too big and too great to just be one X. 100%. 100%. Wow. So it's, you know what favor we'll do? I'll see if we can get this segment clipped. 
and we can just tweet it out and we'll tag Max in it. The only caveat is I think Max should just send you a signed Raiders baby onesie. I think because you're a little baby boy and you're crying for this jersey (laughs) that he should send you a signed little baby's onesie and you'll have to display that on the wall in your studio. And you know damn well I will. I'll get a special shadow box made for that thing. Put it out. I'm I'm 100% in. Here's the question. At any point, would would you try to put that baby onesie on, Fitz? I mean, for anything for content, yeah. Let's just see. How, let's just see where it goes. Selling his soul to the devil. Yeah, exactly. Whatever he can do for the content game on oh, that. Man. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> hey, so when this pod comes out, we're still kind of staring down. You know, the most of bowl season in college football, and certainly the college football playoff uh, title for you guys. Just general, as we look at this college football playoff season, weird year. The Big Ten is the team, the conference that gets two teams into the college football playoff this year. It looks like Georgia's college football. Uh, I want to start off, Fitz, from what you've seen of this season. The new team on the block is TCU. As we approach this, is this just good story? Do you believe they actually have a chance to do something when they get up here in this big stage? How do you feel about their matchup going up against the Wolverines? Uh, better to be lucky than good is something that I've said to you for years, right? Like, it's just better to be lucky than good. And TCU, I, I I mean, there is no doubt about the fact that they've had a year where they've been kissed by the football gods. Their defense has started slow in a bunch of games. It has hurt them. I keep thinking about the fact that their playoff chances came down to a wild play call with 12 seconds left. You know, no timeouts left. You run that kicking team out and you just decide you're going to kick the ball. I mean, well, how different that one play could have made everything. So I think at some point there's a swagger that comes with that, right? But there are certain things that are very legit about TCU. They have a legit running back. They have legit wide receivers. And they have a quarterback that people keep telling me isn't naturally gifted, but works hard and has that sort of extra oomph, right? I don't know. He looks pretty naturally gifted to me. Like when you watch the Big 12 championship game and he came around the corner, the safety had the angle. And Max Duggan flat out was like, you had the angle, good sir, as he outran him. So like, I think Duggan is really, really special. And frankly, you know, we're, we, then you take the other side of this, right? Michigan is an offense that at times has struggled to figure out what to do when they can't get Blake Corm going, right? And we don't have 100% if we have any of Blake Corm. So for me, I actually think TCU has a real shot in this football game. Michigan was an okay football team that played really well in the biggest game possible against Ohio State, taking nothing away from that. But I don't know that I trust J.J. McCarthy to do that again, even consistently, even against a, a questionable TCU defense. So I, of the two games, I think there's a much better shot of an upset here. For me, I see, I feel I feel different about it. Like when I look at TCU, I think there's only been three um, consistent pieces to their entire team this season, right? And you mentioned those, Fitz. You talked about the quarterback, Max Duggan, Quentin Johnston, the wide receiver, and Kendra Miller. Their defense has been non-existent, and the defense is the reason why they had to come back in a lot of those games and actually made them um, more likely to lose a football game. We all see what Deuce Vaughn was able to do from running back position uh, at Kansas State. And it wasn't even Kansas State one time. Kansas State beat them the second time. Kansas State should have beat them the first time as well. And then you have other opponents that felt that same way, but because you had a, a quarterback like Max Duggan. But I think when you look at Michigan, the physicality that they play with, right, you know the run game is going to be there. Can you stop it? And J.J. McCarthy is a part of that run game. That's something that wasn't added last year when you had uh, Kate McNamara, uh, McNamara as your quarterback. So when I look at this team now, defensively for Michigan, you have a constant there. A lot of people thought, okay, we lost Aiden Hutchinson. We lost Ojabo. We lost guys in the secondary. We lost 
a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. How are we going to get the band back together? Jim Harbaugh has done a hell of a job with this team this year, and it's not their first trip. It's their second trip, and I'm pretty sure they have the eyes. You know, they got to win this game against TCU, but I'm pretty sure they want that rematch against UGA, who foot-stomped them last year in the Orange Bowl in the semifinals game a year ago. I mean, yeah. win, they either get the rematch against Georgia or they get Ohio State for a national Oh, yeah, challenge. either way it goes. Yeah, it is a rematch. And I, I, I don't think either team's going to stop either team in that TCU-Michigan game, by the way. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I mean, give me Michigan-Ohio uh, give me Michigan Ohio State for a national championship all day long. God. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not ready to watch Ohio State fans potentially combust if they were to lose to that team in these Ooh. two games <laughs> twice in one year. Oh. But be awful. like the other side of it is, we watched Georgia get that ass whooped last last year in the SEC championship game. Turn around and win an Addy, right? So like the the whole concept is going to be like, okay, Ohio State figured it out. This time it won't happen. I'm still shook it. Like you let your biggest rival come into your house without their best player, and they just took you behind the shed and whooped your ass for an entire football game. Like well, Ohio State's effort in that was just well. That's the thing. Well, though. Do you think they even have an opportunity against Georgia though? Yes. So this is the this is the interesting. Well, let's put it this way: I expect Georgia to win that game. Do I expect Ohio State to probably play better? Potentially, because when I go back and look at that Michigan game, the thing that's surprising me fits is they got worn down by big plays more than anything. Down in, down out, Michigan yep. didn't whoop their ass up front in the way that I expected them to in that game. That's one of the best offensive lines in college football. They were the Joe Moore Award winner last year, and they're one of the finalists for it again along with Georgia this year. And watching that game, it was what you expected with Jim Knowles coming over in Ohio State's defense. They were holding up at the point of attack. It was the back end of that defense that betrayed them. It was big plays. It was guys falling down. It was 60-yard touchdowns that a lot of them were run-after catch plays by Ronnie Bell and those wide receivers. We know there were a couple of nice balls by McCarthy, which he's got in the bag. But I guess all that is to say is why I think TCU's got a chance to keep it close is because down in, down out, I still do wonder. For Michigan all year, we didn't see their downfield passing game show up like that until that moment. Even when they played Michigan State, who stops nothing and nobody, even when they played Penn State, they beat them on the ground in both of those games. And so, you look, the one advantage I'd say, Harry, to the TCU defensive side, the two corners they got, Josh Newton and Travis Hodges-Tomlinson, LT's little nephew there, yep. both of those guys can go out there and cover a little bit. And so now, all of a sudden, when you get into some of those big, big play spots, I do have a little bit of confidence in those guys to maybe put up more of a fight it's just going to be can that Michigan line go back to winning down in down out in a way I don't think they necessarily did down in and down out versus Ohio State and I'll so say when me... I look at J.J. McCarthy really quick face when I look at J.J. McCarthy and you talked about those plays a lot of those plays guys are wide open I haven't seen J.J. McCarthy on a consistent basis make tight window throws right you had a third and nine situation Ohio State's defense a guy catches a ball a hitch at seven yards and all you got to do is tackle them, and they're punting. He gives up an explosive play. Then you had another one where uh, it literally reminded me of Jordy Nelson against uh, running a, a, um, a corner post against a safety for years and years from Aaron Rodgers where the corner up, uh, uh, over the wide receiver got no jam whatsoever, and now that's a, a, a bomb for a touchdown. So you have plays like that. I, I, I haven't seen J.J. McCarthy this season thread the needle, make tight window throws, and that's – the thing that I kind of want to see in this game, because if I'm TCU, I'm forcing J.J. McCarthy to beat me, not that run game. 
And well, and that's what Ohio State was trying to do. This is where I put on my analytics, uh, you know, glasses. Okay, guys. Uh, but there's a, there's a moment here where if you look at the numbers, J.J. McCarthy against man has been substantially worse as a passer. Completion percentage, QB rating, both. Much, much worse as a passer all year. Ohio State saw that. So Ohio State ripped apart their entire defense, and they came out and they played a bunch of man in a way that they don't usually play. I think what they thought is they were going to catch J.J. McCarthy making mistakes. Instead, they had so many communication issues on the back end of their defense, they left things wide open, right? Like, so I think that... Two things on this. One, I think it made J.J. McCarthy look like a world beater when he's not a world beater in that way. That was the, the crapshoot Ohio State took, and their guys just weren't ready for it. Two, I think if Ohio State had that game all over again, they would say, okay, let's just be who we are instead of trying to be who we need to be to trick them. So TCU, I think, comes in with a little bit of advantage because they're not defensively, they're not going to change what they're doing to try and trick up Michigan. We saw that that didn't work by Ohio State. I think Ohio State coaches tried to get tricky, and really blew that game as a part of it. That being said, to Harry's original point, your point about Ohio State versus Georgia, this does feel like, and I, I, I'm not the first, I've said this on this podcast, plenty of people said it, we feel like we're living in Georgia's world right now, right? Where yeah. that team and the way that they're built just seems like it's too much, too deep at almost every level. I mean, hell, they're so good, Stetson Bennett got invited to the Heisman this year. And that's no disrespect to Stetson Bennett, but that felt like sort of a team award for what he's been able to accomplish in the last couple of years when you're the guy that looks like Fitz, that is able to go in <coughs> with a room Excuse full me. of space alien athletes and find a way <laughs> to make yourself the one that they're like, oh yeah, no, that's our dude at quarterback. That is our literal and metaphorical dog here there's got to be some shit to you. Stetson Bennett has my undying respect, but we know with this Georgia team, it's about so much more than that. It's about the machine that Kirby Smart has built up around that position, and it just doesn't feel like anyone's going to be able to touch them. Can you imagine? What, what does Stetson Bennett look like again? Who does he look like? Fitz. <laughs> can, can you imagine an alien abduction? Like there's somebody from Mars goes into the, the spaceship, and they're like, go get us a starting quarterback, a Heisman candidate starting quarterback on an undefeated defending national champion so we can clone that quarterback for our own league in, in, in Mars and they come back with Stetson Bennett you know like the leader of that world would be like no you guys missed the entire assignment <laughs> like nothing about him looks screams or feels like that guy but he is him I well, did I'll tell, you, I'll tell yeah. you this but what I love about Kirby Smart though um in the way he game plans for teams He's going to take away what you do best. And we've seen that against the Tennessee Volunteers. We knew the vertical pass game was so big for Tennessee. Kirby Smart said, you know what, defensive guys, I need my D-line. I need you guys to be effective. Keely Ringo and my secondary, last year to all you guys, I need you to step up this game. And they stepped up. They took away the vertical pass game. They did something that Alabama wasn't able to do, right? And Kirby Smart came from the Nick Saban tree, which blows my mind. How did Kirby Smart figure it out? But Nick Saban and their team didn't figure it out when they played against Tennessee. But they're going to do – and what does Ohio State have? What The quarterback, C.J. Stroud. Um, when I look at Ohio State, though, I think the running back position, Travion Henderson not being able to play. Um, and then you have a lot of – you have a – you have a lot of question marks, uh, I think, on, on their offense right now for me. And if you was to ask me who would I take skill position player-wise, the players from Ohio State or Georgia, it might surprise y'all because I'm taking Georgia's. Why? Because they're, they're, the, ti they're the physical, tight end beef? They're, yeah. they're physical, and they're all most of them going to play on Sundays. 
Darnell Washington should be illegal. That's what I'm convinced. If you put a Sasquatch on the field to play football, that's what it would look like. That man is way too big to be moving that well on any given down, and he's not even the best tight end on the team. The other guy won the Mackey, for Christ's sake, and isn't even going to be draft eligible for a year. It's been The the biggest measure of that offense to me is you have got a guy named Lad McConkey, very much remixing dudes. They're throwing... They're throwing him end arounds and letting him cook dudes in the open field. He's hitting dudes on double moves and it's working like down in and down out. You're right, Harry. I don't think that's a stretch, especially since for Ohio State, Jackson Smith and Jigba not going to be playing. Hasn't played most of the season dealing with that hamstring injury, but he made his decisions for the draft there, which are fine. But no, it, it just, I mean, Georgia versus the field at this point. I'm taking Georgia. Are you guys in that boat? Yeah. No, me too. Uh, yeah, and I think, look, there's two things I was really right about at the beginning of this season in college football. I, I'll toot my own horn. One is, I said right out of the gate that I thought we could get two Big Ten teams in the playoffs, and everybody laughed at me. And what do we have? Two Big Ten teams in the playoffs. Like, this one just made a lot of sense to me. The other thing is that I think beating, not just winning a national championship, winning a national championship obviously cements the legacy of Kirby Smart in Georgia. Specifically, beating Alabama for the national championship changed everything for everybody in that program because the one yeah but that you always have for Georgia was well can they actually take down Bama can they do what they need to do in that they're not going to win the big game Georgia fans have been for years just absolutely in their feels about what happens in these situations when they beat Alabama specifically for a national championship I think it, it released a level of swagger the world was not ready for them Four from the entire roster from Kirby Smart. Like, there's a difference. You talk about Stetson Bennett. I thought week one of the season, Stetson Bennett came out with a different level of like, yeah, I'm here, I belong, and this is my team. And I think we've seen that from Kirby Smart all year. Like, to, to your point, Harry, every single week, they come out with a confidence of like, yep, you're not going to beat us. We're going to find, even in the close games where they haven't played well, there's never been a moment of panic for anything George is doing. I think that all comes back to Kirby, and that comes back to winning an Addy, but it comes back to doing that over Alabama. That's why I'm in on, on George over the field, because they have a level of been there, done that through this whole playoff that nobody else will have. And that, it, man, that, that hits different. And people think that's easy, right? You just won a national championship. Every team, uh, they're literally coming for you every game. They want to have their best game against you because why? They want to knock off the national champion. For them to still go through this season, win the SEC championship, remain undefeated, and every game wasn't going to be a blowout. You got to think about this now. They lost, what, hella guys on defense to the National Football League. Who's making a difference on teams right now at this moment and are contending for playoff spots or in the playoffs already because based on their record. But for them to be able to control the band and add more pieces to the puzzle, you know, mix in the young guys and, and still have Stetson Bennett be that guy says a lot about me. They, they got a three-headed monster at running back. You look at McIntosh, um, Milton, and you also have Edwards. Just think about how deep this football team, and I look, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a jump ahead to 2023. I don't think Georgia Georgia's going to be right there again with the yeah. way they're recruiting. I mean, oh. they've been recruiting like this for years, right? So this is the moment where the dam, they win an Addy, the dam breaks, and now all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait. All of these amazing, like they've had a top five recruiting class, what, five, six years in a row? Like, now we're talking about dynasty now. Now, now you're moving to the country. They are the new dynasty. Alabama. They're the Le- new Bama. Le- Le- legitimately. Fits to that point. I remember calling the Peach Bowl game against Cincinnati on radio for them, and I had been doing games on Thursdays that year. So a lot of Group of Five, American Conference, the Sun Belt, all great times. But when you start to prep for Georgia and you look and three deep, it's 
Number two at their position coming out of high school, former five-star player. Number one at their position, former five-star player. And these guys are running the damn scout team like it's 0-1 Miami out here. And it starts to really register that that sort of depth is uncommon. Bud Elliott over at 24-7, I think, is the one that does the blue chip ratio every year where the teams that just talent-wise, walking into the party, have enough based on what we've seen historically from how they've recruited to be able to even compete for a national championship. And you've had teams like Alabama and Georgia resetting records of the percentage of their roster that are blue chip players but you guys brought up too that know-how and how to do it like that's the one thing I do remember so vividly is Kirby's got a lot of reps at this even going back to the title that they lost of how to navigate that middle ground when we played Bama in 12 they had already been there and done that that 40 days in between where you've got to figure out how you're going to balance practice how you're going to balance rest Are you going to send guys home for any amount of time? And then once you get to the site, when did you install your game plan in the lead up? How did you attack that so that when you get down there for the week of, and then how are you going to structure practices there? All of those are things that if you're going through the playoff like Michigan did last year for the first time, well, you're trying to figure all that out. It's trial and error. You're going off what you know, what you've talked to other coaches about, but there's a difference in lived experience. I think we'll watch Michigan benefit from that in a big way this year of just walking into that space with a comfort level for the second time that now Georgia has over a long body of time and with better players and coaches than most of these places. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I, I remember when I was touring, we had a show in Arizona in the summer and it got so hot in the middle of the show that all of the power just went out. There's the, the speakers, everything. And uh, the singer turned around and she's like, what do we do? And I say, like, everybody grab an instrument. We're going to go to the middle of the crowd. We're going to start walking around the crowd and we're going to play acoustically while we just walk around, play and sing with the instruments in our hands. And we did that for like 20 minutes while the system cooled down. We got back up on stage. We played the rest of the show. I only tell that story because that was about a year before the first time I did something big on radio and I made the life change. Right. And so I went on radio and something went wrong at ESPN where like the, the music wasn't playing or something. And I just remember sitting there saying, like, I have no idea. And I think like in that moment, I was like, God, as much as I'm sitting here and I'm on a national platform, I haven't experienced enough shit goes wrong moments to know how to get out of that. And that's the biggest difference in my life every day right now going into radio this year with Harry, right? Like I've seen so many different time slots, so many different things. Like there's very little in the last five years I haven't experienced. I don't know how to handle the the God forbid tragedies that come into the middle of a show when you're like, hey, we got to get to this right now. You know, the, the stuff like that, you just don't know. I, I say that because I think you realize that life, everything, and no matter what you do is about what experience can I take to this, to apply to this moment, to maximize this moment. I don't know how we expect a bunch of 20-year-old kids that have never been in the college football playoff to understand everything you just said, Mike. Not even about the game. Like, playing the game is playing the game. That's the easiest part of your life. 
It's everything that leads up to it that is wildly different for these kids as they go into it. So uh, experience well, is everything to me. If, think about even like dealing with your like, and, and again, part of this doesn't apply to certain talent beyond certain realms, right? 2019 LSU comes to mind. They didn't have to be there to know that they were, <laughs> they had arrived. Like oh, we look, we look and see their dudes now on Sunday. <laughs> it's no wonder why they won that natty. It is very abundantly clear. So some people can just say F you to the entire system and they're going to be good to go. But for everyone else, you're also dealing with different attention for some places than maybe you've got. Like I think of the guys at Tennessee. They haven't had that kind of attention in a long, long time down in Knoxville. And so I'd imagine the noise got pretty high. Like, shit, at some point we were coming back from home for bowl practice and people had actually, I don't know if they bought tickets to get in the airport or what, but when we landed in South Bend, there were people waiting at the gate that knew when we were getting off the plane that had helmets and memorabilia and all this stuff for us to sign. We had never seen that. We'd been losing two, three games in September and just wondering if folks were going to show up for the player walk. Now you've got that attention. We moved hotels the night before the national championship game so that guys would be a little bit separate from their families. And those are all things that you're doing because you're trying to minimize the noise when you've never had that volume in your ear before. And most of these teams now, especially Georgia and Michigan, have had that volume and with this current roster which is also a big thing it's one thing for the coaches to know how to do it it's another for your veteran players to know how to do it too well i always i would even say in ohio state as well because you look yeah. at them losing the national championship recently to alabama when justin fields was there they've been there and done it the only team in this mix that haven't been there and done it is the tcu horn frogs and Sonny dykes he's gonna have to figure out how do you uh, compartmentalize certain things how do you set aside time for these guys to be with their families? When is the cutoff time for those guys to just be with the team? All those things logistically they're going to have to figure out versus the other three teams that have been there and done it. Yeah, but Harry, I'd ask you what that experience was like, but you played at Louisville. Like, I mean, you guys. Wow. <laughs> yep, we were just ranked in the top ten almost every year I was there. I mean, I mean, sure, sure, sure. I, like, I keep throwing the shade, and then it reminds. I mean, Mike played for a national championship. <laughs> yeah, like I say, but we got do we got dog walked in that game, so it's not like we get to talk too glowingly about I, all that. I mean, Harry you know, was an you know, it's just an Orange Bowl victory during the time of BCS. You know, ten catches, one hundred sixty-five yards, Orange Bowl record at the time. I'm just saying. <laughs> See, that, I mean, Mike. Mike the other part is worth. Gojo was an uh, academic <laughs> All-American. That counts. Academic <laughs> All-American. Gojo got the cred. I know this is the, this is the worst because I remember um, who was the receiver at uh, Louisville. Uh, that plays for the Rams now. Uh, oh, Tutu, Tutu Atwell. Yeah, I'm going to say Tutu Atwell. I remember covering yep. them there, and all of a sudden I look up, we're getting towards the end of the season when he is closing in on the single-season receiving record, and I look <laughs> down and I see Harry Douglas's name, and I go, shit, we had different lives in college. <laughs> Man, things went a little bit differently for the two of us. I text Harry. I said, oh, the boy, he's about to break the record over here. He's like, yep, he might. And then like a week later, Harry gets announced <laughs> that he's going into the Louisville ha Athletics Hall of Fame. I'm like, okay. So this this all makes sense right now. The helmets that you see behind you and the things that you will hear yeah. on Fitz and Harry are going to make a lot more sense now, given the background that this man has. By the way, it's still not the most impressive flex that Harry Douglas has ever had. It was the first one of the first times I met him. I look down and I look at everyone's shoes first and foremost, and I'm always checking it out because I like to think of myself as a sneaker guy, and I like to think that I've you know made a good collection for myself. And I look down. And Harry Douglas has Louboutins on, and he looks at me and he goes, I only wear two things, Jordans and Red Bottoms. <laughs> and I thought, okay, maybe he's just saying this. Every time I saw him, it was Jordans or Red Bottoms. So, Harry, that was where I immediately went, okay, this man is about that life.
Hey, Gojo, it's so funny because, like, this year there were times where I, were, I was crowd surfing, right, on Countdown to College Game Day. At the end, you know, I'm basically saying, fuck it. I'm going in the crowd. I'm diving in. Uh, whatever happens, happens. Caught a few thumbs to the ass a few times, but I couldn't say it because I was actually mic'd up. And at the time, I didn't want to say that on national TV. <laughs> Very weird moment. But all, all my um, my uh, my um, all the people I work with, right, when I post the pictures and stuff, there's like, so you crowd surfing with red bottoms on? You want everyone to see your red bottoms? I was like, no, I didn't crowd surf so everyone could see their, see my red bottoms. I decided to crowd surf to have fun. I just happened to have red bottoms on while I was crowd surfing. And I will never forget this. At Kansas, one dude tried to take my red one of my red bottom shoes off. And I basically gave him a look like, I will beat your ass if you take my shoe off. And he just did his, threw his hands up like this. You I want to look. You want to talk about not being able to handle the newfound success. Kansas gets college game day once, and all of a sudden, folks are trying to steal shoes. Can we also to take it off? Like, just acknowledge how different Harry and I are in some way. Like, because I, I, I took the very large step of trying to fill Michael Jr.'s shoes for the Big 12 championship game, Dr. Pepper tuition giveaway, which, by the way, Mike is a legend down there. Like, everybody from Dr. Pepper, the minute I walk in, but, you know, for anyone that saw the broadcast, I wore a pair of neon green shoes that I, I wear pretty regularly, uh, and I literally go into Amazon and I type obnoxious neon men's shoes, and anything that comes up <laughs> under 40 bucks, I buy it. Like, 40 bucks is sort of my threshold. 40 bucks is it for me, right? So, like, I, I wore my, I think they were like 25 bucks when I got them, my obnoxious green shoes. I got more comments on those shoes, even Christine Williamson who's like you know miss fashion right at espn she was like my mom texted me was like oh my god his shoes are awesome and i'm like that that that's my i'm i'm looking for obnoxious very cheap very affordable off-brand some sort of a knockoff like one letter is printed the wrong way on the bottom of it you realize it's not a name brand that's where i am well he's wearing red bottoms that no 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 but gojo i had to switch it up this year though like it was only a a few games while we're red bottles because you know when oh, you're down yeah. there on the ground you're in sometimes you're in messed up weather you're in mud and whatnot so i'm like nah i'm messing up my red bottoms i'm gonna get some old shoes uh, i bought for 40 dollars and i'm gonna wear those today oh man you bought the air fits ones yeah, air fits, <laughs> i need my own shoe line the air fits ones uh you know that's I, i'm i'm in some like stock x you know you guys use things like that i had to reach out to like i'm like asking mike all these questions about stock x like how does this work because i'm trying to figure it out because I was buying furry Grinch shoes that have like fur floating off of them. Like this is, this is my life. Like the one time I buy a, a pair of shoes that's reasonable is because they're furry and they look like the Grinch. I'm just glad that to at least my knowledge, that's the only furry paraphernalia that you're wearing. Like you're not into anything else that you need to tell us about. Right. Fitz <sighs> that most people can see. Sure. <laughs> that answer. Oh my God. This is what I I'm say the bird boots with. with the fur. The boots don't have the fur, so you'll have to figure out where the rest is. Oh, man, you guys can you guys well, can just figure ask the question, out. Gojo. Fitz, do you have furry underwear? Do you wear furry underwear? I mean so I was I was more worried that you were a furry, that like you were one of those people that was gonna go out there and put on a giant squirrel cop. And again, no judgment. We hope if there are my furry brothers and sisters that are listening to this podcast, we appreciate you and you feel very seen. You and the lunars are all cool in my book, but Fitz, I just didn't know if that was how you got down. You know Magic my life Mike motto. Fitz. Magic Mac Mike Fitz. Do you wear furry underwear, my man? I mean, <laughs> look, my life motto, try anything twice. Like, I mean, once you don't really get a good try for it, so you gotta try anything twice. My God, make sure you try Fitz and Harry multiple times coming up starting on January 3rd, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern. Jason Fitz, Harry Douglas. Fellas, great catching up with you guys. Happy holidays. Looking forward to catching the start of the new show. Going to be great. Love you, Thanks, bud. bud. You already know that.
Boom. Money in the bank.